Supercoach All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another podcast in the pre-season series. This is actually the remainder of podcast number four. So part one of podcast four was put up yesterday and that was the Newcastle Knights that myself and Luke Garrity from the Rugby League Cemetery podcast went through. Uh, Part two today is going to be the Sydney Roosters that we go through the team preview of. On top of that as well, I'll just mention again, uh, we had some exciting news yesterday as far as our partnership with Top Sport which we're very excited about for this 2021 season. If you don't know them, Top Sport is one of Australia's premier bookmakers for sports and racing. 100% Australian owned and operated, which is great. Um, consistently some of the best value offers and odds in the business as well. A lot of you will know, like me and Billy, will, will chat about uh, punning a little bit on the podcast and stuff as well. But what's most exciting with Top Sport for the 2021 season is that they'll be, for the first time, offering betting markets for Supercoach. So... Whether you want to bet on the over or under on, say, Tedesco's points for that week for his games or futures bets on who will be the number one super coach player by year's end, Top Sport will have all those markets and plenty more for the NRL season. So I'm excited for this. I really can't wait. Uh, but if you do sign up to Top Sport, make sure you put in SC All Stars as your promo code because that way they'll know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take good care of you. Uh, but as always, obviously, gamble responsibly and within your means. Supercoach and betting are both meant to be fun. Partnerships like this are really important for podcasts like me because they allow me to keep putting out the content. Um, so I've been really excited with it, and I'm really excited to have a partner like Top Sport on board. So get on, have a look at them. They're really good. They'll have some super coach markets up probably in the next couple of weeks um, and as the NRL season gets closer. But on that note, Sydney Roosters, I'm looking forward to the season. I think that they're going to have a, a better season than last year, obviously, there was a few things that went wrong last year, uh, didn't go as well as what I was hoping for, but they still had a... I think it's a bit underrated, the season that they had. Like, you can't go into a grand final every year, and it's not like that they, you know, finished 10th or anything. You know, they were still in the finals, they still went a couple of weeks deep. I thought they went okay, but, you know, let's have a quick look at their gains and losses. Gains-wise, um, really, it's Suali's a big name, but he's not going to be in the top 17 to start with. Adam Kieran, uh, as a bit of a depth signing, uh, by all accounts, what they've said and what Fitzgibbon said in interviews is that they're going to have him as sort of, they brought him in as sort of a utility guy that can play centre, uh, play in the halves and even play elsewhere potentially, which is exactly what they need because the backline depth for the Roosters has always been pretty poor at times. Adam Kieran's not going to be a starter as, as far as what I've heard and what I can see. The losses, have, they've lost a few forwards, so certainly... All by retiring, um, Farmer is a, a pretty good, solid young player, but neither of those guys should impact him too much. Sonny Bill Williams is, is gone again after his little cameo. Probably the biggest loss is going to be uh, Kyle Flanagan as far as starters go. He's the only starter that they've lost. Um, and I've already had a, a Kyle Flanagan tirade once this uh, pre-season podcast series, Luke, so I'm not going to have a, another full one, but um, I, I don't think that him going is going to affect them that much with the Rooster side that's there, so I mean, long story short, you know, I, I, we've disagreed on this a little bit as well, but I'm a little bit baffled that, you know, the Roosters uh, are put into making a decision on a player by the player because they're eligible coming into their final year to get a new contract, 
and are asked to pay a lot more money for them long term and they've decided to make the decision that they like the look of Liam at the back end of the year before anyway as it was to the point that they dropped Flanagan and they think that Walker is a lot more talented and that's why they signed him after they'd already signed Flanagan. So making that sort of decision is just a normal personnel decision to me. It makes complete sense. Um, obviously a lot of other people didn't see it that way, especially the media, but um, that's fine. In the Rooster side that they're in, in the context of everything, I don't see those losses as really, you know, hurting them. I kind of see them as about the same, and they probably played a little unders to where their potential was last year. Yeah, that's probably about fair. Um, obviously, they'll have about $3 million to spend with all those sorts of outs, with all those <laughs> and everything else. So I look forward to see how that'll be spent mid-season, um, <laughs> see who's available, who becomes available. But um, no, I, I, they're interesting. I'm on the fence a little bit. Um, I am a very notorious critic of Luke Keery. I have been for a long time. I, I didn't when he went there. I was like, look, I don't think he's that good. Um, he went there and he, they were playing well, and everyone said I'm an idiot. And I said, well, you're sort of. He's sort of, you know, playing with with Pierce and then playing with you know, all his best stuff was with Cronk and Tedesco and everything else. So I sort of thought, well, yeah, I'm not saying he can't play. I'm just saying I'm critical of the idea that he's the million dollar half. Uh, I looked pretty silly when he got had a very outstanding performance in the grand final. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't like to think I'm wrong. And in the back of my head, what I've had is I thought, I want to see what happened when Kronk goes because I'm not convinced he can run a team. I'm just not convinced. And I'll be blunt with you, nothing I saw last year has changed my mind. He ran over bad teams because that's what Luke Keery does. He's the best front foot player in the NRL. If you have the other team gone backwards, here's a gun. But all I saw at the end of last year was that he has serious shortcomings as your million-dollar half if he's the one that's supposed to get it done. Was Kronk doing everything in that team? No, I'm not saying that, but Kronk was there. He has an idea of what to do. He helps pick the lock. He gets the play started. And I'm personally of the view that Luke Geary at halfback doesn't have that gear. So I think they'll be in the top four or the top six. They'll be up there because they're that good. When they are put against teams as good as them, I still have question marks on Geary. They were not, they were entered, I believe, in my favor last year. I thought he cost them both semis. I thought he was terrible against the Raiders. Like, honestly, I'm surprised. If Mitchell Moses played like that in a semi-final, there wouldn't be a spare piece of paper for a month. <laughs> honestly, it was that bad. He just cost them over and over, and Tedesco just kept saving them. But against Penrith, that comeback, it was like they're in trouble, and then Tedesco would pull something out of his backside and then do it again, and you're like, God, he's carrying them here. Where is Kiri? And he went into Origin and did the same thing. I understand that's a rant. I know it's not popular, and everyone will say, I've got no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine. But my, I, I'm telling you, I know he's got a Churchill, but there are question marks on him as the only gun half in a team, not as the second fiddle, not in a DCE foreign kind of way. I mean, when he is the team and he's not getting that help and he is the man, I have question marks. I don't think he showed that he's up to it last year. There's still time to show he's up to it, but that's your question mark on your team. They'll be up there because they're that good. But when the heat is on in the semifinals and they play other teams as good as them, I'm yet to be convinced that he is going to get them over the line. Yeah. Some of that's fair. And I'm probably in the middle on it a little bit. Like, um, Kiri didn't play well in the finals last year, but at the same time, you know, he's got a Clive Churchill and he's played good in, in other big games. Um, the thing that we had last year as well is it, it might happen again with Jake Friend. You know, if Jake Friend is Kiri. You're, you're right in saying that Kiri isn't a phenomenal front half because he's not really a half. To me, like traditional sense of a 5'8 is what he is. He's Definitely. not a guy that's going to organise and be a number one playmaker and all that stuff. He can make plays and he can organise a bit, but he's not really a traditional seven, you know, and it's probably a bit unfair for people to to put him into that boat. Um, you know, he's kind of thrust into that with the Roosters a little bit, but that's out of necessity, you know. Really, you know, it works for Kiri 
and he can play his best football because Jake Friend is a pretty dominant organising nine. You know, he does a lot of um, actual tackling and known for his defence, but he does a lot of talking and organising with that team as well. And Tedesco's obviously the number one guy. And he's become the type of player where he's not just a great player, but he's a player that can just about run the team from fullback. And he kind of does that a lot of the time on the plays last year when you watch it. So I think that, you know, the fact that Friend got injured and was sort of, you know, even when he played was below his best. And then you've also got young Verrills, who is a very dynamic, really good number nine that we lost as well. Uh, I think that really put the heat on, um, put the heat on Kiri to be a playmaker that he can't really be at the worst possible time because he was there with Kyle Flanagan, who was in his first year of first grade, you know. So I just don't think it all boded well for Kiri to play his best football. Um, so I, I agree with you. Like he didn't, he, he could have played better and he was a bit hit and miss, but it also wasn't probably the optimal position for him to be in last season. No, I, I think that's all fair. And I, not to backtrack at all, but I want to make clear, Luke Curie is obviously a really good player. Um, and, <laughs> but, but, but when we talk, what we talk, what I'm talking about is pretty much, I'm almost agreeing with you, but putting it as a criticism because of the raps he gets. Because yeah, yeah, what he they does put get big is, raps, yeah. oh, Luke Curie up in the rainbows is like he's the, the player and oh my God, one of the greatest players in the game and he should be a million dollar player. I, he is a wonderful front running 5'8. He's a very good 5'8 anyway. My, but when they talk about like, oh, they've got Luke Keery, I go, come on, like he's the third or fourth bloke I'm worrying about. And when they go, it won't matter when Kronk goes, Keery's going to run it or Keery's going to step up. That's always been my thing. I don't believe he is your million dollar marquee playmaker as the, as the gun half. I think that's the question. And I think you're saying he didn't have this, this and this help. All of that's true. But I'm saying, that's what he needs, and I don't know that he's going to get it again. Yeah, and yeah. and that's the point is that like I think he's been a little bit sort of deified into that really top um, echelon, and I think he's probably one down at it, and probably more in that Cody Walker category of really, really, really good player. But you know, I don't sure I would be paying a million dollars as the only gun player in the halves without help. I think he does need the help, and you know, I, it's, sitting here bagging someone that good sounds stupid, but it's. The way he's talked about is if, as if he's that next sort of Thurston E. Cronk gun level player. And I, I don't think he is that. I just think he's a very good player with some flaws. And, you know, I think he needs to be yeah. with more help. I've yeah. never thought he was at that level either. So I agree with you there. He's um he's a, he's a star player without being a superstar player, basically. Yeah, um, yeah but agreed. Yeah. The Roosters draw is a bit hit and miss. Um, it's probably better um, with more hits than misses. But they start off with... The Seagulls uh, and then the Tigers, not too bad. Then they hit the Rabbits, who should be pretty good this year. Then they have the Warriors and Sharks. So, you know, you, you could say at least three out of those five are really good matchups. The Eagles at Lotto Land, uh, we, we traditionally struggle against the Eagles um, at the old Brookvale Oval, now Lotto Land. And the South Roosters matchups are generally pretty tough, and South's got a good side. So, yeah, but the other three games, uh, yeah, the Tigers, the Warriors, and the Sharks, you know, they could rip up. But then the sixth game they got against the Storm, uh, which is a bit harder. So the first six weeks, you know, it's a, it's a pretty solid six weeks. You certainly wouldn't be deterred from the draw that the Roosters have. And there's some weeks there that the big guns are really going to fire. When you go past the, the first six weeks, um, though, it does get better. So going into that first bye that the Roosters don't play, they hit the Dragons in round seven, followed by the Knights, followed by the Eels, the Cowboys, Broncos, and then a harder one against the Raiders. But that, you know, after the storm in round six, that Dragons, Knights, Eels, Cowboys, Broncos run is, is pretty golden for that Roosters side. 
Um, so overall, you know, I think the first half of the season is a pretty decent draw. You mentioned uh, the guys that Luke Curie needs. The first guy that Luke Curie needs is the gun of Supercoach, arguably, and that is James Tedesco. Now, Tedesco has absolutely blitzed it last year, uh, and unfortunately what that means is he comes in at one of the most expensive price tags ever, 843000 Now, that means that at last check, he was in about 25% of Supercoach teams, um, and that seems high, but someone like uh, Turbo was in 15% more. Pappenhausen's risen right up there now that he's potentially got goal kicking. So, you know, Tedesco isn't hugely owned compared to how good he is. Now, he's coming off a 95-point game in 2020. When we came into 2019, he was averaging 84 points a game. And a lot of the talk was, look, he's gone from 68 to 74. Wow, you know, he's gone up to 84. There's no way in 2020 he's going to beat 84 points a game. That was the narrative, and albeit, you know, a reasonably correct one, because I didn't start with James Tedesco last year, but that was the narrative for not buying him at the start of the 2020 season. I'll also remind people it was also the narrative to not buy him at the start of 2019 because he was coming off going from 68 to 74 in 2018 and people were like, well, you know, can he really do more than 74? That's really high. In the last couple of years, he's gone up 10 to 11 points on his average every single year. Now, I don't think he's going to average 105 points, but I'm very scared to say that he can't maintain his 95 points because... I'm a big Tedesco fan, and he's put egg on my face for a few years in a row, and he's pretty much done that with everyone. And people might say, Luke, that with James Tedesco, it's kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, not nowhere, but, you know, it, you know, he just had a really good run in 2020 to get his 95 points. If you look in 2019, we really should have seen this coming a bit more. The last two months of the 2019 season, basically 50% of his games, those eight games that year, he averaged 103 points for the last eight games of that 2019 season alone. And that was with a range of 78 to 155. So the info and the numbers was all there in 2019 that 2020 was going to happen. Now, 2020 obviously did happen, and it did it with a bang. 82% of his games were 60-plus. Six out of his 17 games in 2020 were 100-plus, which included a 199-point record-setting game for Supercoach. The last stat I'm going to give you here, Luke... Um, is a bit of another narrative that people have. They might look at the draw and say, oh, he might not score that many tries for some of those games. James Tedesco proved last year that he does not need to score any tries in a game to be an absolute beast. Round nine against the North Queensland Cowboys, 178 points, zero tries, zero tries. (laughs) Now... He's a guy that's going to give you seven or eight tackle breaks a game, um, over uh, getting towards 1.5 offloads a game as well. Huge base. There isn't enough ways. There is no way on the planet you can look at any of his numbers and say that he's not super, super elite and at the top of super coach. Obviously, the only thing keeping people away is the price tag, and there's two arguments to that. There is, you know, he's too expensive, he'll go down, uh, which is an argument I've made before. I can't possibly make that argument this year because, you know, you can't miss out on a 199-point game. You can't miss out on the type of average that he can have against any side to start the season. You know, I'm just far too scared to not have James Tedesco. A guy averaging 95 points a game, you, you, I think that you just paid for it this year because, you know, the last three years it just hasn't worked. Yeah, I'm still just wondering whether Wilfred's bought him yet. He was always waiting for next week. I was wondering if that's come yet or whether he's still waiting to pick him up from last year. But um, that drive aside, um, 
Yeah, uh, he's in my team. Um, the way I see it, there's two ways that you can look at it. And, and I think sometimes we can make the mistake of saying someone's too expensive because what happens is these guys are so hard to get. They're so hard to get later. If you pay now, like if you want to pay 800 now, sure, go and do it. But if you want to pay 800 at round three, round four, round six or whatever, you've got to find someone to sell. And you're either taking out a gun really like you've got to take out a david clemmer or something down you're probably taking out two of them a lot of the time it's probably two guns just to get to this go in that's right and if he doesn't drop or even if he drops even if he goes to 750 like you have to get someone out and no one's made enough money you're almost what i've found when i've made this mistake and i've done it with him before i've done it with cameron smith a few times and i've done it with uh you know the monster i think it's happened to me with is some of these guys are so high, and then you're like, oh, wow, great. They had the 20-point game. I'm going to get them so cheap. And they score 140 the next week. Don't drop any money. And, like, or they drop very minimal money, and you're stuck going, who the hell do I sell? Like, my cheapie's gone from 170 to 300. That looks great, but it doesn't buy me James Tedesco. It'll buy me, you know, it buys me some middling upgrade to a front rower. Like, it might let you turn Barnett into Talmalolo or something and think you've done well, but how many points are you adding? And it doesn't let you get Tedesco, who in the meantime is going 100, 100, 100. And you don't know when he's going to do it. And I think that it's really underrated how hard it is to get these players in. And what tends to happen when this has happened to me is that you're in the middle of the year and I'm looking around and I see, oh, that's a good sneaky option. I can get a really budget guy here. I can get this guy here and this guy here. And I can't do any of it because I'm stuck trying to get Tedesco in, chasing Mateo. Yep. And I miss all these opportunities that you see in the middle of the year, whether it's a run, whether it's a low BE because this cheap guy went on a ton, whether you just like a guy and you go, oh, we had that H, you know, he had a HIA and all of a sudden he's 400 and he's worth 600. I can really get on one here. And you find yourself unable to do those things because you're chasing your tail to get Tedesco or whether it's Cook or Smith, whether it's Cleary, whoever. And my strategy is very much that, and I've learned this over many years of not doing it and thinking I was clever, is to get Tedesco <laughs> in, to get Tedesco in, to get bloody Cleary in, to get Munster in, to get the probably, I'll probably cave and get Cook in for the same reason. I'd have Hass in if he was starting and just going, no, I'm not mucking around with this. Just get him in because they're too hard to get. I, I found, you know, unless you get a big HIA uh, early in a game, and another bad score. They just don't drop enough money. You're stuck. You're almost committing to 10 weeks without him unless you're prepared to burn another gun. Well, you basically have to be lucky. Like what you're, yep. what you're hoping for and what you don't want to use as a strategy is luck. Okay. Your strategy in super coach can't be luck because more than nine times out of 10, you're not going to get lucky, you know, and, uh, like you're right. It's the easiest time to get him in because it is super hard later. But the other thing with that as well, Luke, is that with James Tedesco, you know, he's going to play Origin and he's potentially going to rest a game or two in the middle there. So, you know, the problem is with those type of guys is that you kind of, you're making plans, you know, around four and five and even six to maybe, oh, you know, maybe I'll be able to get him around seven because sometimes it's two weeks worth of training to be able to do it and you're missing out on other moves, like you said. But then you get him in around seven and, you know, you're doing it for four or five games and then he, he might be out again sort of thing. You know, it's, yeah. and then, or then you end up having to make the argument to yourself that, oh no, I've gotten around eight without him around nine. I'm just going to have to buy him after origin. And all of a sudden you're at a point and then you're scrambling in the last six weeks of the season just to get a piece of James Tedesco. Like it's, it's so difficult to get, to get on that train. And I think that you can do it with normal guns. Um, but with the top elite guys, it's very hard to, to leave them out 
other thing with that is if you start to miss hundreds, and that's when the general populace of Supercoach is going to panic, you know. Tedesco's going to come out and go, 65, oh, that's okay. And then he's going to go, bang, bang, and go, 120, 150. And everyone in the Supercoach world that doesn't own him is going to panic and go, shit, he scored 120, 150 last two weeks. I have to get him in. Even though James Tedesco is superhuman in Supercoach, he doesn't have an infinite amount of hundreds he's going to put out there. You know, six yeah. out of 17 games last year at 100 plus is phenomenal. Phenomenal. You know, you can't expect him to do more than that. Um, a lot of good players only have a couple of tons a year. So, but if you've already missed two of them, you know, you every week that goes by, the value of buying him reduces on getting those big scores. You know, you've already missed two big tons. You know, so you don't, you just can't miss those big scores that you know are going to be there with James Tedesco. And he's got the ability to do it every three games. You know, that's basically what he's going to do. So, yeah, 100% on getting him in and just paying for it. Um, he's also someone that, like I said, 82% of the time is 60-plus, and he probably has the highest ceiling now out of anyone in the comp. So you talk about set-and-forget captaincy options. There's plenty of guys in the top couple hundred last year finishing for Supercoach overall that will tell you they just captain James Tedesco every week. Um, and they just left it there. And you can do that with him without issue. You know, so that's a big plus as well. That's another justification for the price for sure, is that you have to pick someone to get double points and you've got someone with a giant ceiling and a high floor and that's all you can ask for. Um, you're bad. You get disappointed when you cop the 50 and then make up for it for 200, but you're not copying. You, you know, even with a guy like Cleary, you can cop a 30. It's very rare to, to cop that with Tedesco. You, you sort of get disappointed when you get 55. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but you, you, the chance is 200. Um, yeah. The, look, the, if you want to play devil's advocate, um, I think there would be a stronger argument for leaving him out if Ponga was fit. If Ponga was fit and kicking goals, you could say you can save a hell of a lot of money with Ponga with that draw and turbo and hoping because you're not necessarily not having someone. If, if Ponga gets his 140, which he does do, um, you're making a lot of ground. Um, I could see why someone might look at Pappenhausen turbo if Pappenhausen is confirmed as kicking. If he's not kicking, you're absolutely off your head if you do that. But if he's kicking goals, I can see the thinking there, I, I get it, but I probably still won't do it. I'd, I'd be more tempted by Ponga because Ponga to me, if he was starting the year, him and Turbo are two guys that if you look at a six week run, you don't want to put your life on Tedesco out doing them. Like the, you know, you're two Ponga masterclasses away from being even. So I, I could, I could understand that. Um, but I still think I'd end up buying Teddy to be honest with you. Cause I, I just, I, I don't, I can't, I can't watch the football and I don't know. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I missed the 200 last year, the 199. I didn't watch it. I, I didn't watch them for four weeks until I could buy him after that because I can't enjoy it because he's everywhere. He, he trucks up the ruck and you panic and he follows up every play and he starts busting tape. It, it's just sickening. I can't, I can't watch. I'd oh, rather have 100%. him. 100%. Try being a Roosters fan and trying to watch yeah, without owning. That's, it, it's yeah. very hard. But um, I'd probably say the other thing too is that it's, he's, He's a lot more active than guys like Turbo. Like Turbo's involved in a lot of plays, but I thought but he's not as active as what Tedesco is. Like as far as constantly being around the ball, as far as the usage and stuff as well. Tedesco is right at the top. Um, and I guess probably the argument to leave him out that you started to to make there, you know, it, it is valid in other seasons. I just think that Tedesco's just proven himself too much over the last few years to be out and away the best option in Supercoach. That you just have to do it. Um, but the argument's there for, for you know, I, I agree with Ponga. Like, I would I would be really struggling if Ponga was fit and we're only going kicking goals because at the start of the season, he's got 
peg there is really good. But I would always be leaving the other fullback out. You know, at the moment I'm Teddy Turbo, I'd be leaving Turbo out. You know, that my decision would always be, do I have Turbo, Pappenhausen, or Ponga? It would never be Tedesco being out of it. Um, yeah. And I, I've made the point on Twitter as well with people bringing up Pappenhausen because Pap Turbo's now become quite popular. I see the value in Turbo, and he's obviously my second um, fullback. I don't see him as good as Tedesco. But with Pappenhausen, you know, the, even if you add kicking in, which I did, I added kicking in on, you know, a, a pretty fair average to what he did the first couple of months of last year, and he still didn't quite bust 60 points a game with goal kicking. That's yeah. how he started last year. And obviously the arguments came back, which are fair. You know, first year, fully starting a fullback, blah, blah, blah. Look, fine, but... You know, it, it wasn't great. He did not have a good couple of months to start last year. He's not going to blow you away, potentially, anyway. Um, his hundreds that he had even after the first couple of months were bookended by 30 or 35 and stuff. You know, he's got those in his game. So I don't see... Yeah. I just don't see the point. Uh, you know, Tedesco is the best player. Um, get him in and argue about who you're going to leave out of that second spot to me out of those other options. I think that's fair. Pappenhausen, for me, I've not seen evidence yet, and we might see more with Smith out because he might start to step up. I've not seen evidence that he has enough playmaking to match Ponga, Turbo, and, and Teddy to be, you know, if he kicks goals, it comes into the conversation. But the play, like fullbacks, if you want to play fullback and super coach and be in a team, you need to be able to playmake. That's why two of us, a Sheck doesn't match them because he can't set up tries. And that's that, at this point, I haven't seen enough out of Pappenhausen to say he will set up enough tries to catch those three. I just don't see it. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll see more because Smith is a bit of a hole in their attack, but, you know, they're getting a pretty good player in too. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm with you. Yeah. And the last thing I'll leave on um, on Tedesco is, uh, you know, this, everybody has super coach experience of this where you've got your head-to-heads coming up and stuff and you think that you put together a really good team and you've been really smart and you're really deep and you're starting 17 to really good and you, you're like, you know, I'm not going to be like one of these other teams that ends up having four or five plebs in their 17 for round one. You know, I've I've only got one centre wing that's shit. The other 16 guys are all good. I'm feeling great. I'm going to smash this guy this week. And you, you, you lose by 200 points and you get 1,400 points put on you in round, you know, two or three as well by teams that don't look very good, but they just... They, with the cheapest to mid-range guys, they put them in the right spots and they jag a good enough score there that you can easily put a Tedesco in for round one. And you see it every year. Mm. So I, I just I, I don't see the downside. Um, even the price, just ignore the price. I think that Tedesco's earned the fact to just ignore the price and just go for it. Uh, and you can captain him pretty much every week. And I'll say, finishing up on Tedesco, you know, that second game against the Tigers, he's liable just to go absolutely ballistic. Um, against the Tigers, two games later against the Warriors, and then the Sharks liable to go absolutely ballistic both of those games as well. Three out of the first five are at home. The other two and three, around two and around three matchups are against the Tigers and South, so they're not even going far. You know, they're not leaving the state um, for the first five weeks. So, yeah, just there is no way I'm staying away from Tedesco. Uh, let's move on to other guns, because there is some other good ones to talk about, and we need to get to them. Angus Crichton was, you know, I, I make, like any super coach, I make plenty of errors. Um, you can't go through and be right about everything. But one of the few things I was right about our season was getting Angus Crichton in early when I could see that he was getting the minutes. And, geez, he had a good year. 76 points a game in his 71 minutes that he averaged last year. That means that he comes into this year at a big price of 670k. 
but he absolutely carved up last year, and he was a player that I was kind of expecting to get at the Roosters when he signed. In his 80-minute edge games, which were eight last year, he averaged 85 points, and obviously he's coming in nine points below that. Um, I don't think it's unfair to say that you know that's a decent enough sample size at eight to say that he's gonna he's gonna be a little underpriced potentially even um, he might not do 85 but maybe he even does 80 which would be a really high average for a secondary forward but I'm very very confident that he's not going to be below his 76 he's always had a really good raw base on him when Angus Crichton has played whether it's at the Roosters or Souths uh, and last year we saw his tries and also his uh, tackle breaks in full swing Despite the fact that, you know, his try scoring was pretty lauded, he only scored in two games, both of them being uh, doubles, where he scored 125 and 120 points. But that just makes the other ones a lot more impressive. You know, aside from those two tons, uh, his third highest score was 92 points in that in that round eight matchup versus Storm. But 64 of that was raw base. And then he had a heap of tackle breaks and offloads, which he has. 54 raw base was his average in 2020 overall. Uh, and that included... Uh, the last four rounds of the season where he actually came off the bench for one game, uh, played middle, and only ended up averaging um, around 50 minutes a game where he played 31 minutes, 69, 60, and 58 minutes a game. Boyd Corden had gone for the year to start with for the first half. is good for him. You'd expect that he's definitely going to get his 80 minutes on the edge. Um, I'm all over him, not as much as what I am with um, Madison. I'd probably say he was my second um, second row forward picked Luke, but I'm, I'm pretty keen on Angus Crichton. Um, I was kind of surprised that his ownership's around 18%. I think that might drop a little bit. Uh, he's not going to be one of those guns that I think is going to be, you know, 25 30% owned, which I think gives him just that extra appeal. But, geez, he had a coming out party last year. He's a fantastic player for Supercoach Angus. He busts tackles, he offloads the ball, finds the line, has a high work rate. I don't see any real argument for not getting him. I think that everyone should have two of Taumalolo, Madison and Crichton. And if one of them, I'll be taking all three. I don't think, I, I think you're kidding yourself if you don't have two. And there's no reason that he shouldn't be one of the two. You know, if you choose him over either of the others, you wouldn't have any arguments from me. Um, it's probably really a matter of preference, but he'll be, I'll be taking all three and I don't think there's much more to discuss. He's, he's, he's just good. He's priced good, but he'll score well. He always does when he gets the time and the minutes. Corden is not there. Get him in. Yep, exactly. And last set to finish up on, uh, Big Angus, all of his 80 minute games that I mentioned, none of them he scored below 60. 60 plus 100% of the time last year when he was playing 80 minutes. Lowest score was 63, 63 to a 125 range. Uh, 25% of his eight games, he scored a ton. So just do it like Luke said. TKO, he's the next gun and the final gun on the Roosters gun list that we're going to talk about under that category. He's really interesting. So I gather that he was the front row forward that you were talking about earlier instead of Clement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so absolutely. He's he's guaranteed the kicking at this point by, by all accounts. Um, so I've said to a few people, uh, that should bode well for his minutes because last year he had a lot of minutes where a lot of games where his minutes were high, um, but then he, he had other, other games where Robbo went a bit easy on him, rested him and whatever. I expect his minutes to be quite high consistently, more so than last year, provided he's not injured. Um, so that's a good sign for him. He came in at 64 points a game in 2020 with a 57-minute average, uh, but you know he had uh, a couple of games where he was injured. Um, the last game of the season, he only played 47 minutes. Uh, there was a game in round 16 where Robbo put him on for his first stint. They were going well against the Broncos, carving him again, 
and he just didn't put him on in the second half, and he only played 28 minutes. There was another game where he was injured where he only played 26 minutes. There is huge cause without goal kicking to say that he's a little undervalued by a couple of points. If you add goal kicking to that, you know, that 64 points per game price point of 560-odd K, it's really a 70-plus price point for Takiyaho. Uh, that's where it projects to. And, you know, pretty conservatively too, he's actually a pretty decent goal kicker. At front row forward, to get a guy that's, you know, six or seven points under price, that's going to have goal kicking added, that's going to have pretty high minutes, uh, you don't find that very often. And when you have a look at the numbers breakdown on Takiyaho, in his 60-plus minute games, which is kind of what I expect his four to be when he's playing this year, he had a 78-point average. And that only included one try. And that one try was not even included in those games that he scored last year. Um, two games with goals in that, and he only scored four and six points in those games. So it's not even inflated by goals. So, you know, if, when he goes 60-plus, he's a 78-point player last year, as it was, with a decent sample size. Uh, he just... He just looks too good to leave out of front row forward for me. He was the first front row forward I picked even before I picked Haas um, before he was actually suspended. Uh, I see him as incredible value, Luke, and I don't see enough people jumping on him. Yeah, I like it. Everything you said pretty much stands. I, I want one gun front rower, and it would have been Haas just because I'd just like to minimise the amount of trades I have to make during the year. It's a similar to the Tedesco thing. I just like to know that that's done so I can be upgrading and finding options, not hassling to get people in. So I would have made it half. Um, but I looked at him and thought if I get two, it'll probably be him as the second. Um, and I was waiting to decide. And once Hass is out, I just slotted him straight in as my first one. Um, I think he'll be front rows a position. Sometimes you don't actually, you've had to have Hass other years, but for your second one, you could almost have the second best guy down to the fifth best guy and it won't make or break your season. They're all pretty similar. And with, with him, I think, he'll definitely be in that five. Like, that's the difference in gambling. If you have the fifth-best halfback or the fifth-best fullback, your season's screwed. <laughs> it's like you're in big trouble if you've got the fifth-best supercoach fullback. But if you have the fifth-best front rower, the difference to the second hasn't been much, really that much. It won't make or break your season. It's made elsewhere. And I think that's the benefit of him is even without the goal kicking, he was good. With the goal kicking, there's no way he won't be one of that group that you need to have one of two of. You've got to play two of them. No, none of us will play three all year. We're going to get to a build where we play two front rowers and either have a backup or a trade. And if he's one of your first two, you'll be fine. It won't hurt you. So get him in. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, and I I will make a controversial statement here. Uh, I believe that Takiyaho will be the number one front row forward option by year's end. I think that he will beat Payne Haas. I wouldn't put my house on it, but I'll remember you said it, and we'll see. <laughs> if you're right, I'll let it drop, and if you're wrong, I'll make sure you know about it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that you're consistent with those <laughs> ones there. Get him in. Um, I think that he is a fantastic option, doing the numbers on the kicking to finish up on him. Um, I think that Kyle Flanagan was something like you know, 14, 15 points a game better with the goal kicking. It's probably going to be someone like Joseph Manu or maybe one of the halves that ends up taking the kicking off him when he doesn't play you know, when he's off the field. But he did play 80-minute games last year too, so you're going to have those sprinkled in where you get a Takiyaho 80-minute performance. It's just going to be massive. But when he's off the field, okay, maybe he'll miss one or two goal-kicking opportunities. But the Roosters score so many points that they have more goal-kicking opportunities than just about any other club um, or, you know, up there with the top two or three with their attacks. So 
that means that, you know, instead of maybe 14, 15 points, he's at least 10 points better just on his goal kicking, even not goal kicking across the whole 80 minutes. So too much there not to like. Ticks absolutely every box. Isn't even price type 560k. Kicking. One thing on his goal kicking that will also get overlooked is it will actually increase his raw base in tight games because he is the best goal kicker. If it's 10 all and he's got 80 minutes in him, they may well leave him on the field. When you're playing Melbourne and you're 10 all, he may well play the last 10 minutes instead of getting that spell because if they score, he needs to kick the goal. Like that will be in the coach's head of not hooking the goal kicker in games that are close. So you may well find he kicks well in the blowouts and that saves it. If they hook him off the field, his goal kicking saves it. But you may find he's just on the field longer when the game's tight because they want him taking the sideline goal to win the game or to tie the game. And that's tackles and runs. You know, oh, so 100%. That, That's it's a fantastic worth keeping point. in mind. You, you, you want to have him on the field, don't you? You've got to have your best goal kicker on. You're losing by four points or six or whatever. Last 10, they'll have him on the field. Yeah, and look, it's yeah. a really good point because, like, Robbo was just leaving him on there just as their best as their best middle forward last year, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to just push you for 80 minutes this game. And that happened a number of times. So if he's goal kicking, yeah, fantastic point. Um, you, you know, they'll probably push to have him. And I will say, like, as much as I still believe, like, the Roosters are a top four team, um, last year we weren't. And we've done this before, like, even when we're beating a team by 30, like, it doesn't always happen in the first half. Like, we might play a, play a Gold Coast Titans team, and we're losing 10-8 at the half. And then in the second half, we kind of put the sword to them. You know, that can happen fairly regularly with the Roosters, um, where they have those big second halves. So it, it might not even get to the point in many games where he's even going to get the rest after a massive, you know, first half sort of thing. So... Yep, really good points. He can't tick any more boxes, so let's move on to the big balls pods. And I've just got it as the wingers. So the Roosters' wingers both had massive seasons last year. Uh, Daniel Tupo and Brett Morris, two guys that I had. Brett Morris I had when he got injured, so I had to trade him out again anyway. But um, Daniel Tupo I had for a lot of the season, and he was a massive pod for me. And it was, again, one of those few calls that I got right. So when you have a look at Daniel Tupo for last year, uh, his season was actually the best that he's ever had by a long way. He scored 71 points a game in 2020, which a lot of people have kind of overlooked. Um, he came off doing 56 points the year before that and 46 points the year before that. He's generally been sort of a 50s player, um, and that's been uh, partially because of some injuries, partially because of some consistency as well. But a couple of things that I really liked from him last year. Now, out of the 13 games that he played, there was only four games that he didn't score in. So nine out of 13 games, he scored at least one try, and two out of those 13, he scored a double. Had one massive ton for 138 points when he scored a double, which is his highest score, um, but his lowest score was actually 33. Um, second lowest at 36. And then after that, you've actually got to go straight to the 50s for his next lowest score. Other thing that I love about him, 11 out of 13 games, he was 50-plus. And he did that by being the top raw base averaging center wing out of the genuine center wings. And what I mean by genuine center wings, Luke, is uh, not including guys that qualified like a yo as a Ford um, out of the actual center wing guys playing center wing. Uh, he was right at the top as far as raw base at 33 points a game. And he's also a guy that on top of that 33 raw base is going to get tackle breaks every game with a fewer game. And he's also going to um, push some offloads, sometimes to his own detriment, but great for super coach. So, is it just one of those wingers that has a huge strike rate in try scoring and a top attacking side? He's got the best base that you can get from a genuine centre wing and one of the up there base attacks as well. So there's a lot to like about him um, and he really stands out. Never got the love that he should have last year. 
The reason why no one's talking about him, it's pretty simple. Um, you can't spend on centre wings too highly. <laughs> he comes in as one of the highest ones that you can get. 626000 It's a lot of money. Uh, if he was around the 500 mark, geez, I would be really interested. He'd probably be in my side, and I've started with him before because of it. But um, I'm really pained, mate, because he's one of my favourite roosters, and he really came through for me last year. And I think that he's going to do it all again, but I just can't pay for it. He's a really good player. He's been he's a really good winger. He's been underrated for a while now. Um, no, nah, he's too expensive. That's the the long and the short of it. Um, probably go pretty well. Um, you know, uh, I'm always I, I'm very much I'm so bullish on this, and 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 people sneer like every year I get sneered at for making these points about a player, and I'm just almost exclusively right, and next year everyone forgets. It's that one year it's Semi Rad Raja. It is. It's, everyone forgets by the next year. It's everyone wants Semi Rad Raja priced at 80, and I go, it's dumb. They don't back it up. Look at last year. And everyone goes, oh, no, 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 because of this. And then you go, oh, we're starting Jordan Rapana this year because he averaged 80, and you go, and I go, no, it doesn't work like that. He won't make the runs again. He won't make the tackles. He's just not going to be that good. And everyone goes, no, 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 it's different because X. And then so on and so forth and so forth. And I apply that logic to any player like this. I will apply it to Nofaluma. I will apply it to, to Tupu. Do not spend on them. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I'm sorry, I'm not wrong. It doesn't happen. If you are priced, <laughs> 600K, if you are priced over 600K as a center winger, you will not average that much next year. It's not going to happen. At the very least, you will not average it in the first month or two, which is a very important point because they're very variable positions. You have to make your money count at the start of the year. If you are going to invest money, invest in your Tedesco's, invested in these guys. Do not invest it in Daniel Tupo or, or anyone that's that pricey over 600 as a winger. If you've got a forward that was somehow put in the centres, go and spend it. You know, 500 and something for a goal-kicking guy playing fullback, maybe do it. But if you are playing on the wing or at centre and you are priced that high, every chance you don't back it up. It's one or two offloads a game. It's one or two games without scoring, and you have really overpaid. So I would not look at it. I think he's a great player. I will have a look at him later in the year. And that's the best time to look at center wings because you get to look at their base attack this year, and it varies. You get guys average four or five off. Tim Laffey is the perfect example. He's been the best super coach center winger in the game, nearly, and the worst. <laughs> and, 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 and Daniel Tupu is not like that. I don't, don't want to be facetious about it, but it does vary. Guys go from throwing five offloads to one or two their work rate drops, their opportunity to score drops and changes. And when you've got a guy this expensive that's on the centre wing, you have to wait. And when we get a month or two into the year, you'll be able to go, oh, how's his base attack looking? How are the other options looking? Well, you know what? He hasn't scored in a couple of weeks. I can really get on him at a price here. Or he scored a lot, but his base is great. So I'm going to wait for the, the tries to roll out and grab him. But you can't start with guys like this. It's just too much money. It's too much money at centre wing, and it hurts you too much So when they don't get it done. I started Virgo last year, so don't think I'm sitting from my bike horse. <laughs> I'm speaking from someone who fell for it himself after saying it every year. It, it happens. Like, they just – Virgo started the year before on absolute fire, and he didn't score for 16 weeks. Stuff happens. His runs were down. It, it's – if you are looking at someone over 600 and you send a wing, get them out. Get rid of them. Not yeah. I, I don't think he's around <laughs> one by at all, so I agree with you. Um, and it's it's just too much money when it comes down to it. But I will disagree a little bit in that I think that um, – I think Daniel Tupac can come very close to, to backing it up. Um, but there is going to be a point, though, that he's, he's going to dip. And you're going to hope that it's sort of at the start of the season – where you can get a few weeks of maybe averaging 40 or 50, and that's all it's going to take. And it's very, very possible. And then he's going to drop 100K pretty quickly. Um, I'm going to be jumping on Daniel Tupo 100%. Probably 
around that time, I said um, uh, sort of uh, about five, six weeks before the bye, where they've got a good run of games, that five weeks, um, round seven, starting with the Dragons, through to round 12 at the Raiders. Um, that's going to be when I when I pounce on Daniel Tupo, probably for that round seven game, provided that he's dropped in value. Uh, and I think that that's going to be the perfect time, really, with the run of games that he's got there as well. Can't do it from round one. Exactly the sort of guy that I was talking about. Where I, this, this is the reason you have to start your Tedesco's is when I said you miss opportunities. What you'll miss is if you don't start a Tedesco or you don't start, you know, a Cleary or whoever it is, those absolute guns in their position. What will happen is when you're chasing your tail to get Tedesco in is when Daniel Tupu will have scored a twenty with a HIA and then a twenty because they didn't score and he just did no work and he'll be sitting at four hundred and seventy or something and you can't get him because you're trying to pile up for Tedesco and then he has his hundred game and he's back at six hundred and not worth your buying. These are the these sort of Tupu guys are guys where you can actually let your final team be guided by who falls cheap at the right time. If you've exactly bought Tedesco, right. yep. if you've bought Cook, then what you do is at round seven, Bradman Best might be four hundred and Tupu seven hundred. Obvious who you you get or it might be reversed and you can make that call based on which one of them's fallen down because this is a position that you can afford to have different guys in so that's it just goes to the Tedesco point if you've got those guys in you can be sitting and waiting for the emu or whoever else it is to drop but you're going to miss it if you're trying to chase your tail to get <laughs> these 800k fullbacks in you know I mean what it comes down to is having some flexibility in your trades yep. you know and yep. having that flexibility is really important and you're going to like every single super coach is going to have weeks where, because of necessities, they can't get everyone that they want to buy. And, and you end up making the wrong choices several times and you miss out. Um, it, it happens even more so if you put yourself in that position where you're really constrained in what trades that you can make through the year. Daniel Tupo, I think, you know, came off 71 in 2020. You're probably right. He probably won't do 71 again. But, geez, I think that he'll go mid-60s. Um, and I think that he'll be a keeper for sure in the centre wing. And I'm going to say a top four or five centre winger again. Now... His other winger on the other side of the field, Brett Morris, he had an absolute resurgence for the Roosters, which is great to see. Um, but it also means that he comes in off a 72-point average. So he actually kicked Tupo by one point a game on his average last year. That's coming off a 53 in 2019 and a 40 and 38 the two years before for Brett Morris. Um, he hasn't been a guy that's been too durable either. 15, 12, 23, and 18 games his last four years. But when you look at what he did in 2020, it was absolutely remarkable. Like He did have some of those games where he got to play fullback, which was great for him. But that was only, I think, one or two games where he went to fullback. Um, but he had a 28 base, which wasn't great. Obviously, five points off what Tupo did. But it was all about the try scoring. You know, He had uh, a game where he scored four or five tries against the Dragons, I think it was. I think it was four. Um, and then a whole heap of other games. He had two doubles. Um, he had a strike rate. Up there with Tupo, I think it was 10 out of 15 games that he scored a try. But when you go through Morris, it's a bit different to Tupo. You know, Morris wasn't a guy that had a really good floor. Um, he had plenty of games in the 20s and 30s. Um, it's just that when he fired, he really fired. You know, you you will not see many guys with a 15-game sample size um, go from so many lows to so many highs. You know, in 15 games, he had four tons, 114, 144 103 and 107 points. They were just massive games. And it was basically games that you kind of expected him to, um, which is why when the Roosters have good runs of games coming up, it always scares me because guys like Brett Morris and Tupo normally take advantage of it. So, you know, 114 points put on the Broncos when they put a drubbing on them. 144 points against the Bulldogs. 103 points versus the Dragons. 107 points versus the West Tigers. 
you know, Brett Morris has that in him. Um, he comes in at an expensive 637k. Um, I'm mentioning him because he went really well last year, Luke. Um, and so he deserves some props, but it's not just a big balls pod for him. Like I think it's a big balls pod to go for for Tupo. Um, but you just you can't even have the balls to go for a Brett Morris. But his season last year deserves mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I put it out there and say dead cap bounce. He's going to go back to fifty. He's not going to average that again. Um, can't look at him. Wonderful player and still a very good, still a very good player. I love Brett Morris, but super coach wise, that's a dead cap bounce. That's not going to come back this year. Um, he is the definition of a hand grenade. Um, if you get in the middle of the year and he's at the right price and they're playing, you know whoever's this year's Broncos, where it might be the Broncos. Um, <laughs> it may well be the Broncos, but someone, there's always a Broncos, you know, it was the Knights for a lot of years and the Titans. And there's always a couple of teams like that. Whoever comes out like absolute bustards and is getting flogged every week. And if you get to a game in the middle of the year, you might just say, you know what, if I grab him, he's 400 and something, I won't want to play him every week. But if I hand grenade him in this week, I could get a real run and then I'll just sit him. Maybe, you know, I'll just sit him, I'll, I'll play him when I need to at a right price. That's when I would look at him. Um, and certainly like a, a head-to-head finals and stuff, like you get the end of the year, if they've got a good game, you can just go, right, I'm going to get this done. We've all got the same team, nearly, and I'm going to throw in Brett Morris and hand grenade him. Um, Akili Uate used to be like that. You can get guys like that to do that, but there's no way you can start him and there's no way... I would spend an early trade in the season in the first six or seven weeks. At that time, you're setting up your guys. You have to, if you pay money in the first month or two, you have to play them every week. You can't, can't pick a matchup player, um, you know, and, and leave them out. So I wouldn't look at him at all until the middle of the year. And if he gets to a good price, you could really go, you know what? I can pinch hit him in here. That's the time for him. Yeah, 100%. Agree with you 100%. Uh, I think if you, I think that Brett Morris will struggle to get to 60s average. He'll fall off for sure. He's, he's going to fall off at least 10 points a game. So you wait for him to be value and then, yeah. then he becomes an option. Um, rising gun for the Roosters. This is someone who I really, really like, um, both for Supercoach and in real life. Satili Tupanua. Satili is someone who I've been waiting to get a starting gig for a while. Um, he got some games last year that he got to start. Uh, the problem for him last year was uh, he was... Shunted between the bench and starting on edge and, uh, two or three games he ended up at centre. One that he started at centre and two that he ended up getting shifted at centre, I think it was. Um, all those hurdy scores, but it means that he's, uh, priced way better for Supercoach this year than what he should be. He is going to be the starting edge for the Roosters for the first 12 weeks at least with, uh, Boyd Cordner out. So his stock should be way higher than what they are. 2021 with a $410,000 price tag. That's off a 46 points per game average in 2020. Mm. Now, his 46 points doesn't look great, but he, he did that in 59 minutes a game. He should be pretty close to an 80-minute player, um, but if not, you know, he should be sort of 65-plus. But in those minutes, he was averaging at 59. Obviously, that included bench minutes. But he also had, um, you know, a couple of 80-minute games in there, like I mentioned, that were at centre. So all these things kind of brought his, his average down to 46 points a game. If you drill it down just to sort of when he was starting on an edge and he wasn't shifted around, uh, he's a mid-50s player. And that's like nine, ten, like that's 10 points better than what he, than what he's priced at. So already if you're spending 410k on a guy that's 10 points unders. Uh, he is a young guy. He's only just turned 23. Um, and he is a guy that's got immense potential. And I watched games last year where I was like, you know, he's just warming up still. I can see, I've seen him do better than this, and you could see that he was working things out as well. So, I mean, even if he does no, no improvement, Luke, 
Satili Tupanil is 10 points unders for me. Um, but if he does improve, then all of a sudden he hits 60 and he's in the gun status. And you've got a guy 14, 15 points under price to start the year at a very reasonable price point at 410. He is a guy that can find the try line as well. So he does have the upside. So he had a game last year where he went through and he scored a double. Um, and that was against the Broncos edge, which is in Torrey's hedge, obviously, last year. But he, when he scored a double, he went 124 points. It was a big ton. Um, other games that he scored a try, you know, he's managed to throw up an 86 at, on that edge as well. So he's got those big scores in him as well. Um, he could be one of those guys where you say, you know, again, talking about Tedesco and this team, you overpay for Tedesco and you have a Satili Tupanua instead of a David Clemmer because it's, you know, a 200 grand price difference. And Satili outperforms Clemmer over a period. Um, I really genuinely think that Satili can do a 60-plus average at least for the first half of this year. But I think at worst, you know, you're, you're mid-50s and you're still cheering priced off a of 46. Yeah, and that's good knowledge that he played at centre because if you shallow look at his stats, he has five games out of 10 that he played 80 minutes where he scored less than 45. But they become a lot less influential in your thinking if some of them are at centre. Yep. And that's something you can't get by just, you know quickly looking at the stats. So that's another reason it's important to be watching. Uh, he, I've never seen someone pass the eye test quite so well as Satili. <laughs> uh, he, he's every, like, if you were building in a lab what a back rower should look like and run like, I tell you what, you're on track. If he's got him, you could cook him up in the lab and you'd be like, yep, we got it right. That's the mix. He's perfect. Isn't he? <laughs> exactly. He moves. He's pretty beautiful. Well, he can do um, everything as well. He's, he's yeah. got the lines. He's got the running. Yeah. He's got enough agility. He's got enough power, strength. Yeah. He's got the power. And he's got an offload as well. Like, he can... He yeah. really can do it all. I, I really hope he becomes a really good player because that's pretty, pretty enjoyable to watch. Um, yeah, I think he's a good option. So I, I haven't got him in. I'm, I'm locked into three back rowers, and I think there's enough cheapish, like much cheaper guys that I can play for junk bench. But I think I can get a 300k edge and stuff. But if say some of those Sean Bloor type players fall through, I'd look at him as my fourth back rower. And I'd also make the point that if you're, you know, I've been, I've sort of poo pooed not having three gun back rowers, but if you're if you're looking at Barnett guys as your third back rower at five fifty and stuff, then I would be not doing that if with Satili there. That's exactly what I spoke about when I said I think you can either go cheap or go up, is that I would, you know, if you've got Mitch a uh, Mitch Barnett who I think is, you know, will go all right. But if you've got a five fifty back rower in whoever it is, if you're looking at that, I don't know what Nathan Brown's priced at this year, but if he's in the five hundreds too, he's if you're looking at those, or so. Yeah, if you're paying that then I would urge you to either go up to Lolo, Crichton or Madison or to go down at least to Satili. You can probably go cheaper, but Satili, that is a better bet at that price because you are saving quite a bit of cash then. If you're not going to pay for the top three, take Satili because he could do as well as Brown and those guys. And if he doesn't, you've got the money left over. You can afford him to not go not quite as well, and there's a chance he does. And that's be more my thinking. I don't like that 550 back row price range because I think you can always get a gem cheaper if you want to take a pun, and that might be Satili this year, or you can just go all the way to the, the – I would be more inclined to take him than those 550 guys. And yeah. I think he's a good bet. It's a really good argument. I really like him. Um, you know, it's, it is one of those things too where you mentioned that there is some guys that are going to be cheaper. Um, you know, like you're going to have a – Ben Murdoch Masala that's going to be um, really interesting at 330k. Um, that if he's starting on an edge playing big minutes, you know, it, it, he warrants being interesting as a dual mm. front row, second row forward. But um, you, there, there's going to be other guys around that price point too. Like, I mean, I'll even throw out there, even like a Jordan Ricky, like that's close yeah. to 300k. Mm. Um, with all these type of guys, um, 
there's two ways of looking at it. You can say, look, you know, Satili Tupanil was a hundred, sort of 70 to 100k more than these guys. So you save the money for round one and spend it elsewhere. But there is something to be said that, um, you know, paying that extra 70 to 100k to get a guy that can be a gun straight away and for the season is worthwhile because it's better value. You know, if you, Jordan Ricky might be a bad example because he, he's got potential too. But, you know, a Jordan Ricky could come in and, and give you 45 points a game or something or 50 points a game, which is going to be great for a guy that's priced under 300. Um, that's great. But if Satili comes in and blows away and does 65 points a game, which is entirely possible, it was well worth the money to, to have paid the extra, you know, 100 grand to have a Satili there and to be able to play confidently in your 17 every week, especially early on. You know, and that can't be overstated enough. We get carried away all the time, including during the year, on making money and getting um, cash cows in and how much is this guy going to make or whatever. And there is a, a very important threshold that you cannot cross where you go through this threshold and forget all about the point of the game, and that's to score the most points every week. And that's exactly right, yeah. I, I agree. And I think that, that where I would look at that is that I would be building the guys you cannot play without. So get Tedesco in. Probably Cleary for me. I know I bagged Cook, but for a lot of people, it'll be Cook. Get those guys in, and when they're done, then you put the really obvious cheapies in, like 170K starting on the wing, 210K starting winger, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of that, you'll have positions left. And if you have 400 and something thousand left, don't buy some, don't buy Ben Murdoch Masilla because he's cheaper and therefore it's less investment to make cash, buy Satili and take the points. Like that's where you get to that point. You'll get to a point where you've picked everyone that you obviously want and there'll be some cash left over. And if it affords, if it doesn't afford him, by all means take Jordan Ricky or, or, um, you know, or Murdoch Masilla. If that's what you've got less, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Cause you need to get the important guys in first. But if you've got enough left for Tupanua, don't be like, oh, well, I've got, I can't take him at four, 400 because there's a 300k player starting too. Take him and bank the fact that you might well be getting a semi keeper or a guy who can be 18th man at the very least all year. Um, that's where I would look at him when you get to that point where it's like, don't do the team in order, do the must haves. And then if the cash left over affords him, get him, you know, like don't go cheaper just because. You can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, if he was 100k less, I would put him as a must-have. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Just at 410k, he's a little bit more expensive than what you'd hope him to be, but I think he's a great option. He's in my team. I can't not have him. Um, and I will say four out of his four games, when you're looking at the draw, uh, you know, the South's edges, I still don't think are that fantastic. If Murray's not there, you know, they're going to have Sewer and... Maybe even Arrow there with some of the teams. But Callum Matungi is probably the other guy that will probably be there instead yeah. of Arrow. Those are the best edges defensively. But look, that's probably the best matchup. The other ones, you know, the the Seagulls, the Tigers, the Sharks, the Warriors. Their edges aren't phenomenal defensively. Um, I'm not. I can't remember which side he's going to end up being on. And they might actually switch sides of the Roosters because he's played on both. But you know, if he's up against a uh, Jack Guzowski, and then uh, Luciano Leilua, and then an unfit yeah. Super League Ber- Ben Murdoch Masala, and then a Britain Nakora that got dropped multiple times because he can't defend. You know, that's gold that first five weeks. Yeah, the Roosters expose that too. They're ruthless. They're not. I, I get upset as a Knights fan watching and being like, why hasn't the ball gone to Bredman best for 20 minutes? Why hasn't they done this, why haven't they tried this? And But the Roosters are ruthlessly efficient. If they spot a hole, they'll just run Tupanua at it 19 times, 20 times. Yep. Um, 
it's it's um and that's what good football is a lot of the time. A lot of the, these days, everyone wants to be creative. Like we've got to try something different. Or let's shock them with this. The, <laughs> the <risk laughs> they kill me. It's like Tupanua or, or Crichton run through a hole often off the halfback short because this guy doesn't tackle well, and they're like, righto, they're like, you're going to cop it twenty more times, and he's going to go through five more times, and that's more than amply enough to win a game of football. So they are a team that if they spot it, and it doesn't matter who's playing, who they play, Lamb, whoever. If they spot it, they'll keep doing it. So if they get a game like that, they cash in on those weaknesses better than a lot of teams who go there once and then go, let's do something else, which is just, you know, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, they'll cash in. That's the, that's the point. They will cash in. If, it, if they see it, he'll cash in. Yeah, look, we saw it on the edge with Crichton when he carved up the dogs. Um, probably had four line breaks to go with his two tries and a whole heap of other semi-ones, and Tupanil did it multiple times last year too. So definitely 100% agree with you. Um, on the mistake side of things, there's a couple of guys I've got here um, that are being talked about. Now, Victor Radley's one, and I'm going to say up front, Victor Radley's a phenomenal real-life player. I love him. Um, he's a future rep player, potentially. Um, hopefully, he comes back from his knee injury good and well. But for a couple of years now, maybe even three years, people have looked at him in the preseason and thought he was a good super coach option, especially when he comes in um, and he's a dual. So he's a dual hooker secondary forward coming into this year. And he always comes in at a lower price point. So he's at 445k, which is pretty cheap. But this this always happens because he's not as effective at super coach as what he is in real life. And I've seen it again with people talking about him. He may not be ready for round one, so people might be saved from themselves. But if he is... When he's been 100% healthy, he still hasn't played enough minutes. You know, like in, in 2019, he played the most minutes that he's ever played, and that, um, aside from when he was filling in as a hooker and stuff in 2017, um, 67 minutes a game in 2019. That's coming off playing 44 minutes a game in 2018. Um, you know, and when he played his 67 minutes, he was still only at 52 points a game because the higher minutes doesn't necessarily give him um, a massive score. You know, it was still only 52 points in that 67 minutes. Last year, in his 51 minutes a game, he scored 50 points a game. He's he's a consistent 50s type of player, um, and that's without taking into account he's coming off a serious uh, ACL injury under one of the most, um, I guess, cautious NRL coaches that there is, that he's happy just to rest guys or play them less minutes to get them right. Now... Victor Radley isn't looking at getting more minutes this year than what he was getting before. And what he was doing before was basically 50 points a game. Even if he does 53, 54 points a game, it's not worth paying 445000 for. I, I really get perplexed every year when people talk about him. I have to only think that it's not about the numbers and just about him being a good player, which I understand. For super coach, um, I think that he'll be a definite mistake. And he has been the last couple of years when people have looked at him. Yeah, if you've got him in, delete your team. It's not that's <laughs> seriously. Um, Victor Radley's a, a good player in real life. Um, the Roosters use him as a link player. He passes a lot. He run, he's involved in the running of their attack through passing in the middle. He's not a big second rower or a big back rower. There is no particular reason you would want him taking a lot of hit ups when he's surrounded by Tucky Aho and and Warrior Hargraves and some of the guys they got off the bench. There's no reason you would use him as a battering ram. It doesn't suit him. He's not made for that sort of style of football. He's a very clever player. Um, he makes plenty of tackles when he's out there and does that. If he did run the ball and he started making a stack of runs, he wouldn't get a heap of tackle bus or offloads because he's not very big. Like he's a really good player. I'm not bagging him, but for super coach, 
forwards need to bust tackles, offload the ball, and make a lot of runs and a lot of tackles. And a lot of tackles is last on the list, really, because you get a lot more points if you run and tackle, bust, and offload. You can get five points a run, not one point a tackle. And he will never do enough of that because that's not the style of football that suits him, and it's not the style of football that he is that he does well for East. He's a really important part of their attack. I thought it was noticeable when he wasn't playing, um, but he's a link man. He's used as a passing lock forward who's clever, can knows when to take a run and when it's on and when he needs to pass and run the attack, but he's never going to make the amount of runs or do enough with them to average high enough in super coach. And it's nothing to do with real life. Cooper Cronk was never a super coach player. Kieran Forum was never a super coach player. Doesn't always translate. And, and he's just one it doesn't translate with. Yep. hundred percent agree. Stay away from him. The other guy to stay away from is Joseph Manu. And he's a guy that for the last three years, it always comes up in the preseason. He comes in this year at a 496,000 price point. So I guess sub 500 people look at it and go, well, you know, maybe um, that's cheap enough to have a, have a crack at him. It's definitely a cheap enough price point if you want to have one expensive centre wing where you can have a go. It shouldn't be at Joseph Manu. He, he's coming off a career year. 56 points a game is by far and away the best he's ever done for Supercoach. The years before, he went 49, 44, and 41. One of the things that sticks out like a sore thumb, and you know, I raised him as a great buy last year, Luke, during the season. Get on Joseph Manu, he's playing fullback. You know, mm-hmm. his first, his two games that he scored his highest points, 102 points and 94 points, both of them were starting fullback. That's no coincidence at all. When he's starting at centre, he is hard pressed to get um, in the 60s, let alone anything else. Uh, you know, he's got one, he's got a, a 94 and an 84 and a 76 and an 83. Um, and one other 75. That's five games out of his 17 games at centre where he's actually scored well. Um, all the rest are basically 50 and under just about. And that's kind of what he is. He's also not a massive strike weapon that people think that he is. He goes on runs of try scoring. So, you know, the Roosters in the first 10 rounds last year had some big wins. You know, the Broncos win, there was 60-something points put on them. Um, you know, and that's that's the only... Brown in those first 10 weeks that he scored a try. His strike rate was 1 out of 10 games to start the season last year, and that is Joseph Manu. You know, he will go and runs, and he will also have games where he scores a try, and it's, it's not really that high that he scores because he's got a, a 29 base, which for a centre wing is a phenomenal. He played well enough last year. Like, he's not going to get you heaps of terrible scores. Like, he'll still get you the occasional, you know, 55 to 70 range, but he's not someone that you spend 500k on like, he's, he's, he's not scoring tons at centre. You know, you may as well spend 450k on Mike Acevo. At least you know that he's got a game in him that he'll go 150. You know, Manu doesn't even have that game in him. So, I love him as a player. He's probably, he probably rightly is one of the better centres in the game. But as far as super coach goes, he's a stay away. Yeah, no, no way. Um, the Roosters have too many options. They score on either edge, so you can pick the wrong edge. Um, and when they do go to the edge, Kiri and Tedesco's natural game is Kiri either dummies and runs or cuts out the centre, and so does Tedesco. Like they, I mean, they, obviously they can both pass to the centre, but they they like to either dummy run, hit the back rower, or cut to the winger. A lot of the times the centre's the cutout. It happens a lot um, for them. I, I wouldn't be on Roosters' centres at the best of time. And Manu's work rate's not enough to make up for that. If James Tedesco was to get hurt, um, sorry to say that out loud for you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> 
to keep you up for the next week, but if James Tedesco was to get hurt for any length of time, you could not get me on him quick enough. Um, if he was going to play fullback for even a month, I'd just be like, yep, in its centre, you know, like downgrade Tedesco to like bloody Ponga or Pappenhausen, upgrade someone to Manu with change, and you'd be absolute happy days because he's a really good there. But no, it, it, you, you can't even look at him at, at that price point gamble on someone else or find 50, 60 K because you can get Val, Val Holmes goal kicking fullback at the Cowboys um, playing under a coach who was quite enterprising at the Warriors last year. You can take a punt on best whose base is always going to be in the thirties and who is, you know, does have hundreds in him. As I said, I'm not starting best, but, but I would find 50. I think there's better bets for not that much more money. That's where you can, make adjustments, take your 500k back row to a 400 or take your four to a three, do something in that bench or those fourth or fifth players in your teams to find the money to get someone better. Um, I won't be. I'm going to take, I'll take one gun center and I'll be running everything I can get under 300. But if you're trying to do it, just find a bit more or a lot less. Yep. 100% agree. Um, as soon as he's fullback during the year, you have a look and he'll probably be sub 400 at some point when that happens and you go, wow, that's going to be great. But otherwise, stay well clear. Um, mids and cheapies. Now, really, there's just the halves to talk about. So who's going to get that coveted number seven jersey? I did think um, when when Flanagan got dropped last year, all my mail was that um, the Roosters were training really hard with Sam Walker, who was training hard with the squad last year. They really wanted to get some weight on him, um, and he was tackling the props and trying to get ready for first grade. I think that they wanted to get him there, but from the recent interviews and stuff, it looks like Lamb is going to get the jersey in the front runner. Um, I still do think that if Walker had like a standout pre-season and a couple of trials where he blew it away, they, they maybe ask the question. Um, but at the moment, Lamb's well on odds on favourite to get it. But it's really out of those two. Now, one of the things with Lamb is that he's a, a 5'8 only, whereas Walker's a, a halfback only. So they are in two different positions. Um, I think... If Sam Walker's starting, you, you basically have to get him in. Um, would you agree with that? If he's a starting halfback for the Roosters at bottom dollar, you just put him in that backup seven spot. Yeah, well, there's no reason not to. He's got all the wraps, so he's the player you'd take anyway, and there won't be any others. I've had a look through, and I can't see another halfback that's going to be picked that's even remotely close to that price. So that's a no-brainer. Lamb is actually available at hooker as well. I checked this today. He's hooker and... Oh, eight. yeah, you're right. Um, yes. But I don't think it matters because I don't think... I Those are two positions. Like, at 5'8", there's no way I would take him over Moyland or Hoy. Um, and I would, you know, I would, you could go cheap and take both, but there's no way he's in front of those two. And I'd say I'd probably... If Milford's fit, I'd probably have him behind Milford as well by a fair bit on pedigree and stuff, because Milford's pretty cheap. Um, I think there's better options at 5'8", and I think at hooker, we've already been over. You've got, you know, Little, Watson, um, you're going to have maybe even, you know, you, you, Braley, you, you have Hodgson, these guys that are somewhere similar in the price point or cheaper. I just, I don't think he'll do bad. I just don't think that if he was at halfback, he'd come into it, because there's no one bar Walker. Mm. Um but I don't see him in the top options at 5'8 or Hooker. He'll make money, but not ahead of them. Walker's obvious. I think the bigger question is, I think the real question is that Walker won't start the year and people will start him anyway when there's no options. And I think that's incredibly risky because I think you're going to have probably Cleary as your halfback. If you don't, you're going to have Moses or someone. And if you're going to run no backup with Walker, you're just in a little bit of a tricky position there. I think that's almost the bigger question. If he's picked, it's fairly obvious, but if he's not, um, 
there's a hole there at halfback, and I'm sure on some of the other apps you'll come up with some mid-candidates that might be able to be thrown in there, but I, I wouldn't be starting him. I think that if the Roosters win early games and Lamb's going okay, I don't think he's that Kalen Ponger sort of guy that's obviously definitely going to debut at some point. There's always some of those guys. I'm trying to think of one we had last year, but um, there's always been one or two at the start of the year. Jack Bird might have been one. There's always been a guy you can take a punt on before round one that they'll get picked, yep. so just pick them. I don't see that as being definite. You might have better Roosters male, but if Lamb starts and he goes okay with Walker's age, I wouldn't be prepared to say, oh, well, he'll come in in the middle of the year. Kiri might not get picked for New South Wales, and if they're winning games, where's he going to play? I do say, I, I will yeah. say that on my mail that there's no way, like, if everything's to be believed and at face value, I mean, as good as as good as you can say there's no way, there's no way that Sam Walker won't play this year. You reckon? Okay, yeah. so I'm off there. I'm, I'm, I'm very sure. Like I am one of the people that is looking at um, having Walker there yeah. anyway, and that's only because it allows me to, you know, build that that team that you were sort of talking about too to have those top guys. But with Walker, the other thing, there's a couple of considerations on him playing. One of them is obviously the Origin period, um, and that's one thing. You know, so at worst, you know, he comes in at Origin period. The other thing you that, reckon? Hang on, but who's who's going out? You got uh, Kiri getting picked because Kiri was dropped from the last Origin team. I, I think they'll. I don't think he's a guarantee to play, and if he doesn't play, there's no gap. Well, what I would say is that I think that the Roosters will look at Origin period as a time to um, get some of those young guys some experience. Like they'll even they might even rest players. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, if even if Kiri doesn't get picked, that he has a rest at the right. midpoint at some point. Um, but the other thing that they can do um, as well is, you know, Lachlan Lamb hasn't. Lachlan Lamb is a front runner to start at seven. He's by nowhere, nowhere near the front runner to be the future seven for the Roosters long term. So he knows that as well. Um, and, and him and Walker are basically, you know, both training for that one jumper. I, Lamb has played as a utility before. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all when the Roosters are short on troops in that mid-season period for the Roosters to say, Lamb's going to go to utility on the bench and we're going to give Sam Walker some reps. Um, you know, and they do it that way. Or even Sam Walker goes on the bench and 20 minutes in, comes in and gets some game time and, and actually plays a decent chunk of game, like 50 minutes or whatever. You know, th- that's one way to do it. But I think yeah. the elephant in the room that everyone is not seeing as well is that um, Luke Kieran's been injured a bit and everyone talks about Boyd Cordner's head knocks. I'm actually way more worried about Luke Kieran. Um And I think that, oh, yeah. I think that in the background, the Roosters are really worried as well. Like, I think Luke Kieran. I don't think, you know, um, there was a really interesting, and I'll segue a little bit, but there was a really interesting article in the Sydney Morning Herald, I think it was, it did like an interview exclusive and all that stuff with, with Robertson. And Robertson um, like made it known what the medical records were, basically released the medical records to say, you know, the top neurologists and sports doctors and whatever have said that well, did the tests and the tests, this is what the tests are. And it basically showed that Boyd Cordner had zero brain damage. And his brain was what was considered pristine condition and all of this stuff. You know, some of the tests that they've done in the past, Kiri has looked a lot worse. Um, mm. So if Kiri has another head knock or HIA, I dare say he's missing at least a couple of games. Um, and at worst... Like he uh, might miss a real chunk if he gets hit again. It could be six yeah. weeks. And we all know how often HIAs happen and stuff. I don't want that to happen, but, you know, like it's a decent shot. You know, so between Origin the HIA and the resting Akiri, um, and the fact that Walker is seen as a long-term option at half and that needs mm. to get game time, because I think we've only got him on the hook for another season after this. You know, yeah. we've got to start playing him. Um, you know, 
I don't see any way that Walker doesn't play. So he is a guy okay. where you go, well, I'm going to waste a trade getting him in later. Or, you know, my team's a hell of a lot easier to put together from round one if I just have Sam Walker there and I don't have to bother getting him later and he's probably going to play three or four games sort of thing. Might not get the price rise, but, you know, things can happen where, wow, Kiri's out for eight weeks and then it's just it's just cash time. Um, you know, so that's kind of how I see it. The other thing as well and the final thing with him playing is that Lamb not being locked in just... That could mean as well that, you know, if the Roosters start poorly or Lamb isn't on fire, and, you know, Lamb is someone who was coming through three years ago as the saviour for the Roosters halfback jersey that never came through. You know, he he played much better last year than what he ever has, which is why he's sort of come back into favour. But if he goes back to what he was a few years ago, he'll lose that jersey in five or six weeks. Um, And that'll be be Sam Walker's. I don't think he's that good of a player. I just think the Roosters have got enough good players that they just won't lose enough games to... Yep. Panic! I think they'll beat too many teams because of the other players for them to go. We have to boot the halfback. I know Robbo. One thing I do respect is that he is. Um, I have a real bugbear with this in the cricket, this train cricket team, and a lot of <laughs> other sports. Is if you don't lose, they say don't change anything. Um, and then it's not until you get flogged or beat that everyone goes crap. Everything we're done was dumb, and we have to change everything. I've always respected Robbo. Doesn't have that attitude. He's dropped. Flanagan, he's dropped Latrell Mitchell. He's made moves in the past when they're winning because he thinks they can play better, and I think that's a good thing, and that weighs in favour of Walker again, that maybe just because they win by 30 doesn't mean they won't look at how Lamb's playing. Um, A lot of coaches won't do that in a lot of sports. Um, But, look, yeah, you've talked me around a little bit on that. My worry was that if he's not picked and they keep winning, he won't come round. Um, There's some tricky stuff you can do. The lack of duel hurts, you know, because if you're carrying enough duel, even it lets you mean that if Cleary gets hurt, you can upgrade like Moyland or Hoy at 350 when they've gone up to a, you know, to another halfback by the switching and all that. So that it makes it hard that you're stuck with, say, Cleary and Walker. But the argument, I guess, against myself and having heard you saying he's a bit more likely to play than I thought is probably just that I don't want to play another halfback anyway. So if Cleary was out, I probably... I don't want to back up. So, like, if you're yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't want to pay, you know, I don't want to pay, I don't want to carry Moses as a second halfback. I don't want to, if there's no cheapy and you just sit Walker there and hope he plays and clearly gets hurt, then just buy the second best halfback and, and, and move on or take an AE or whatever because I don't want some guy that's, 20 points less good than Cleary to play, you know? Cause, and that's where the risk comes yeah. into it, because you're right. Because, yeah. like, Cleary gets hurt round two, you're burning a trade to, to trade Cleary yeah. out and then burning one to come back in. The the awkward point, and, and this is where, you know, you can sort of risk a bit of luck as well, mm-hmm. is that if, if, Cleary's out for, if Nathan Cleary's out for one or two weeks, then that's really shit because, you know, it, it's short term, but taking an AE early can be murder because you're going to get a, a yeah. 10-, 12-point guy that's on your bench as a cashy. Um, yeah. But trading Cleary out, you know, you can't, you don't really want to do that and then burn another trade to get him in three weeks later and then maybe have to trade him in origin period as well. So it, that's that's the obvious issue. But you're kind of going to weigh it up and say, well, how unlucky am I going to be to get um, one of those injuries in the first six weeks? You know, Nathan Cleary is pretty durable. Um, you'd hope that that's sort of going to continue and you kind of gamble with it a little bit. And a lot of it's gambling as well. So I kind of think that it's a good gamble. Um, and I'm probably edging towards having a Sam Walker there. What I will say too, and you made me salivate before with uh, Barnett, um, long shot dark horse kicker. Um, you know, Sam Walker, I believe, can kick goals as well. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, that's yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's all fair points. I think I, I it's a bare position. Um, 
there was some news the other day that Connor Tracy was training at fullback for the Sharks, and like I'm that desperate, that started to look good. You know, <laughs> three hundred odd k, and I'm going. There's no one in this position. Like there's nobody I would take at halfback at the moment, unless like it's almost like enough. You know, like Brock Lamb looks good because he's a jewel, ten k more than more than base. <laughs> like, and you go, okay, when Moyland or someone matures, if there's a half injury, I can flick him and I can just play three halves. If you start Moyland, sorry, if you start Munster and Cleary, you can, and you've got a a jewel like Brock Lamb at ten above base, you can use your Hoy or um, Moyland to upgrade to a backup for those two and just never play a third half and all that sort of thing. But like if, if Walker was a chance to play, it would just become so much. I know he is a chance, but I mean, if I thought he was a reasonable enough chance to take that punt and then you just cross your fingers for clear, it becomes a lot easier and a lot less fiddly to just do that um, and run with it. And, you know, I guess you've got to take some risks and it, it sucks. I wish he was a jewel. It'd make it a lot easier. <laughs> oh, a jewel would be a lot yeah. easier. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing that I will say for Lachlan Lamb is, um, being a dual hooker 5'8 is kind of handy because one of the things that it does allow is that if you have Connor Watson at backup hooker and you have Lock and Lamb at backup 5'8, it gives you that versatility in your side to flick those guys around if you need to start one of them and not the other, um, or you get an injury somewhere. Um, like, say, you never want to play Lock and Lamb, but you're always going to play Connor Watson, yeah. um, and you get a hooker, you get a 5'8 injury to, say, Munster, you can flick them around and start Watson at 5'8 instead. Um, that's a very good point. He, he, that's a really good point. That, I think that's important. I just think this year and other years, he would almost be like gold with that. I just think this year there's too many hookers and fight. Like, I could not look at myself with Lamb in my team mm. when you had Moylan, who's got a, you know, a pretty good history of getting some good scores, albeit he's been busted for a while. He can play football when it comes together. And then Hoy, who's, a, you know, a goal kicking, reasonably talented young player who's going to be at fullback and then Hooker's going to have, you know, I'm not heaps big on Little, but he's very cheap and going to start. And then there's Hodgson and Braley. And then well, I just think there's just, this is just this year, there's too many players in those two spots to just, to justify even with that. Yeah. He's just, because I just think he's going to middlingly plot around going okay and make a little bit of money. And those other guys are guys that could, bang out a 70 and really start motoring in price and scores. So I, it's just a weird year that there's a bit of depth in those two spots and it probably just rules him out. If he was at halfback, I'd take him. Yeah, I, I probably agree. I'm not going to have Lachlan Lamb, um, yeah. but I do think that he's definitely an option for people to consider. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, he doesn't have very many numbers to look at, but he did start. Um, he, he did play 80. He played 71 minutes at half and 80 minutes at half last year, and those were 45 and 65-point games. Yeah. And you know they were quite good. He he had a uh, he had a good raw base for a half as well. I think that what you can expect from him is pretty close to what Kyle Flanagan was doing without the goal kicking. Which you know you know he probably get some sort of um, forty five to fifty five type games will probably be pretty much the norm. I think for Lachlan Lamb, which is decent and going to make some money, yeah. but probably not worth having a crack there. No, the other guys, Kiri and Tedesco, are going to be most responsible for the attack. Um, I don't, I don't think he's any good, Lachlan Lamb. I don't think he's like an embarrassment or anything. I just don't think he's good either. So I just don't see enough. I don't love him. In it. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't think he'll go bad. I don't think he's a terrible player. I think he puts his gloves up and can play in the system and stuff. And that, don't get me wrong, that's important to have as your backup and in your squad. But I don't, I don't think he has the. You need a little. If you want to make it in the halves. From a super coach point of view, probably in the NRL as well to a degree, but in the super coach, you've got to have a bit, a little bit of wow. Like you can have faults in your game, but you've got to have like, oh, like that sort of play where 
oh, wow, like he can do this because that's what scores points in super coach. And I just don't see that with him. I don't see the snap step or whether it's a long ball or the, you know, banana kicking. This has got to be something and I don't see it there. Yep. So I just don't see the big ones. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not huge on lock on Liam either. He basically turned me around last year with, um, how he got into the middle and like defended and took his role as hooker on the chin and stuff. Like, it's not to beat down on Flano, but it's <laughs> from, from all the reports on Flano versus Lamb, like it was Lamb kind of had a, inklings of a bit of a Flano type of same attitude early on in his career, and it put off I think some of the Roosters. And to his credit, he kind of turned that around and was really the opposite now, and was like, no, like you need me to play hooker, I'll play hooker. You need me to play fourteen, I'll play fourteen. You need me just to go in there and tackle. You know, I'm going to smash the front rowers. I don't care, and like really put himself on the line and didn't whinge and was really happy with everything and just got along and did the job. So he kind of turned me around a little bit last year on his attitude, and especially how he's defending in the middle and stuff. Um, as a player, I don't think he's going to be the long-term seven anyway, and if he is, I think we'll probably be in a bit of trouble. So on that note, thanks for jumping on, mate. A mammoth one that's going to be a two-parter, so a Knights and a Roosters, <laughs> so you can go on both of them. Um, but I really appreciate it. It was good to chat some footy with you on the podcast. And... Um, Rugby League Cemetery, you've got an episode coming up, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll have one. We haven't picked what game it's going to be next. We released one last week of the World Cup semi-final 95 with uh, young Freddie and young Joey carving up the Kiwis, uh, carving up in extra time. I shouldn't say carving up or I'll upset our Kiwi friends, but it was one of the greatest games you'll, you will ever see. Totally mad. So if you haven't watched that game, you should go and watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. But we'll be back with something else soon. Awesome. Well, we'll get you on during the year and have another night's chat, mate, and hopefully you'll be in um, good spirits. (laughs) Uh, You never know. Stranger things have happened somewhere. (laughs) All right. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Now, as always, uh, you can download us on SoundCloud, also iTunes, and now as communicated the last couple of weeks, we are on Spotify, so you can grab us there as well. also, don't forget our uh, partnership with uh, Top Sport means that you can jump on there, create an account on Top Sport, and put in the promo code SC All Stars to make sure they take care of you. And do follow us on Twitter as well, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars, and you can get all the up to date info and updates on when the pods are coming out and everything else. But up until then, we'll have a new podcast out next week with a couple of extra teams to preview and a new guest that's never been on the podcast before again. So it's all happening. We're getting towards the halfway point of the preseason episodes. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Keep downloading, and we'll chat to you next week.